So would you pray with me as we ask God to bless the preaching of his word? Heavenly Father, I just ask you to speak specifically to the hearts of your people. Accomplish the purpose for which you send this word and revive us with the knowledge of your love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a time in my life when the most valuable possession I owned was this North Carolina Jerry Stackhouse jersey. Now, before you giggle and make fun of me, this wasn't yesterday, I was a grade schooler, and I was intrigued by a slam dunk contest of which Jerry Stackhouse was in. I also like North Carolina because the great, who came from North Carolina? The great Michael Jordan came from North Carolina, that's right. And this jersey represented many weeks of paper routes. These were expensive friends. They were the cool items to wear and it took a lot to save up so I could have this jersey. It's only one problem. For about two weeks to a month, I had lost this jersey. I searched my closet about 10 times, searched under the bed, searched everywhere. And it was the kind of item that you just felt its loss. You, you couldn't take your mind off of it. Because I was a pastor's kid informed with God's word, I remember about this jersey saying with Job, you know what, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, I'm going to try to praise his name. But man, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Now, thankfully, I did find it. Uh, we had an old house that had a clothes chute. From the second story to the basement, there was this clothes chute, and it actually got stuck in a nail in the clothes chute. Flashlight helped with that one. But, but I bring this up because we all can relate to loss, can't we? We can all relate to a moment where like, man, this thing that I used to have, it was so nice. But it's gone. Maybe some of you feel that way about a house. You might have had a house that you really, really loved and now, oh, it's a different house. Maybe you felt that way about a car. And now all you can do is show the cool, your kids, the cool car you once had instead of the minivan you now drive. But I bring up the light things because there are also heavy things, aren't there? They're the heavy losses. The people that were in our lives that moved away. The people in our, our family that we loved and prayed for and now are gone. And so today as we talk about loss, I wanted to ask this question. I wanted to ask you, what is something so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living? What is that thing for you? Now, one of the reasons this is important is because do you know that everything God has given at one point or another will be taken back? Like we come into this world at one time, we leave at another time, and nothing really goes at the same time with us. We will have to say with Job, naked I came and naked I will depart. I take nothing with me. And so regardless, we have to get ready to say goodbye. But this question has spiritual ramifications. It's a question I've posed before. It comes from a book called Counterfeit Gods, and your answer to this question may be the thing that is vying for your heart, so much so that it might even take the place of God himself. But one of the reasons I love coming and worshiping with 
you all my church family, is because with the eyes of faith, we see something here. With the eyes of faith in this place, we recognize there is a good we never have to say goodbye to. And that good is God. Only him is the Alpha and the Omega. Only him is the beginning and the end. Only him is the great I am, the one who will never leave us. And you have him. And you never have to let go. But if you are in the Lord, and by the way, welcome if you're new to Christianity. I hope you find his goodness. But if you are in the Lord, I need to remind you disciples, I need to remind you Christians what it's like to try to follow the Lord. What we must be willing to do in order to hold on to the Lord. And when Jesus was sending out his disciples, he was very clear about the requirements. Are you ready? This is a tough one. He said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And this is even tougher. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this is such an important passage because I don't know how many of you for the first question said it is a child that I would really miss. It is a grandchild that I'd really be distraught about. And God says you need to even live with those people, those things, the ones most that we love with open hands. You know, the Apostle Paul, he kind of riffed on this concept and he was writing to Christians in Corinth about not getting married. And he had some strange advice. He says, I hope that you would be single like I am. And so all you single people, Paul says it's better that way. <laughs> but he wasn't against marriage and he wasn't knocking, you know, getting together with a woman. No, what he was saying is that when you're married, your attention is divided. That's how you do marriage. You try to please your spouse. In fact, that's what the Lord wants you to do as you show Christ-like love. But if you are unmarried... You can be wholly dedicated to the Lord and not be distracted by something that might take your heart. And in fact, as he was riffing, he shared this um, more in that section. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Open hands for this world and its present form is passing away. Everything God has given at one point or another will be taken back. This is the human experience, and this is what God told us. And so if you're taking notes, this is what we need to understand. That living open-handed is actually the requirement of any disciple of Jesus. been a while since you've been in church, you might say, Pastor, this is hard. And there's a word we say for this kind of hardship. Sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for Job to continue to praise God, even though in a day he lost his family, he lost his finances. It's a sacrifice for us to live open-handed and to be ready to go without, to say goodbye to whatever or whomever as long as we have the Lord. But the power of that sacrifice, are you ready for it? We will be less disillusioned and disappointed when the temporary things of the world turn out to be temporary. 
And we, with a better understanding, will have the ability to hold on to that one permanent thing, our God over all. And that's the goal. That we would have hands that are free to hold him. Because he alone is worthy of that truest allegiance. So we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to do it through the lens of the story of Abraham. And it is a remarkable story. I don't know what you know about Abraham, um, but he was actually uh, given a child after waiting 25 years. And then after receiving that child, God said, why don't you give that child back? And, and for all the parents and grandparents, you can just imagine what kind of test this was. And as we get into the lesson, I'm going to have you seated. I'm going to have you just kind of peer into this lesson because sometimes I shorten the lesson down, just to give you cliff notes so I can preach on it. I gave you the whole of it. And the reason I gave you the whole of it, it is so beautiful. I don't want you to miss a thing of what's going on in God's word today. So we're in Genesis chapter 22. You can open your Bibles. You can follow along on the screen in your worship folder. Here we go. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What faith. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood and the fire are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's an incredible story. In fact, could you turn to someone next to you and tell them, Abraham passed the test. And I have a second one. I know I'm using your energy. Are you ready? 
how you do it. How you do it. With the test, that is. That, that's in general. If you're curious, not just like how it's today, but how you do it with your test. Okay, never mind. All right. Um, as I transition a little bit more, do you know uh, life is filled with tests? Uh, ACTs, SATs, as we're turning to our neighbor, I don't know if you want to tell them your ACT score, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, there might be some students here in the building today that tomorrow are going to face a test. You're going to go home and study for algebra, for English, life is filled with tests. Well, there aren't just academic tests, there are also physical tests, right? Uh, you have tests for boot camp or for firefighting, there are tests in gym class. For us old people, there are tests of eyesight and physical tests that we fail the older we get. Um, there are tests all over the place. For, for me, one of the tests I remember uh, was in gym, and it seemed like the gym, every gym I went to growing up had this rope. Do you remember this test? Did you have a rope like this? And I don't know why the rope exists, because this represents an impossible test. I don't know what your gym class was like, but the only way you got up this rope, it was basically a test of your vertical jump, because no one was pulling themselves up. Unless that one rare farm boy who was like milking cows and had strength in their arms, like, but that was it. Like 1% of all school passed this test in grade school. Well, as we're talking about tests, do you know God loves to give tests? Do you know that about him? You need to know that about him if you haven't realized that yet, okay? In fact, I want to tell you about the story of Job. One of the most interesting dialogues in the whole story happens in the very first verses because God and the devil are having a dialogue. Do you know that? Some of you might know how it goes. The devil had come back, and apparently they're having this conversation, and it was actually God's idea to test Job. Look, look at what it says. In Job it says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like on him, no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, when you consider what was going to happen, it's pretty incredible that, that God's idea was, was this test. Or you think of Abraham. It's Abraham praying, Lord, I hope you'll ask for my son back. That'd be a great test. Of course he's not. No one asks for that. But God is a test giver. Because God knows what tests do. What do tests do? They reveal where we're at. And when God administers a test, here's what he's trying to reveal. He's trying to reveal the status of our heart. Now the reason it's so important for you and I to remember that God is a test giver is because we might get disillusioned and maybe even tempted to stop following God if we forget what his goals are and if we forget who he is. For example, if we believe God's primary goal of his activity in our life is to make us comfortable, we are going to be disappointed. If you believe that faith in God and following God faithfully is about your success, you're going to be disillusioned. If you feel that because God is on your side, everything is just going to go all your way all the time, you are going to scratch your head about the activity that he allows in your life. But if you remember that God loves to give tests, and he will move heaven and earth to have your heart, 
it is then that what he allows may start to make a little bit of sense. Even if what he allows means loss of something you love. But consider Abraham's test again. Parents, grandparents, do you remember what it was like anticipating that first child, that first grandchild? Do you remember the hopes and the dreams you had? I have a theory that the first child of any family unit, any clan, they're spoiled. They get all the gifts. And yes, I know I'm younger, so I have that perspective. But they always get spoiled because everyone is so joyful that they finally are here. Right? There's so much hopes and dreams. Our family name lives on. Ha ha! And if you didn't relate to that on any level, think of Abraham who waited 25 years, 25 years to have a son, one son. 25 years. And then consider that Abraham knows this son carries the promise of God. Through this son, all nations will be blessed. This son means the Messiah will come from his line. Abraham has all this anticipation, all this joy over his son. Named his son Laughter, Isaac. And so when God asks for him back, you need to know that to Abraham, this is the most precious thing on the planet and there's nothing close. We know that as parents, we know that through the narrative in the Bible. Now the thing is, God hasn't stopped giving these tests. When it goes to that answer to the question, what, what would you just be out of sorts if you lost? Some of you might have said career. And I just want to tell you, maybe give you a heads up, that if that is your answer, don't be surprised if at one point or another, God reminds you of how impermanent your position is and how almost anyone could do your job. If your answer was money or the things that money could buy, don't be surprised. When that new car gets scratched, maybe in a wreck, when the new house starts leaking, or when money becomes tight. If that answer was a romantic relationship and you are on cloud nine right now with someone that you love, don't be surprised if you hit rocky roads and you see just how failing another human can be. And if it is a child, don't be surprised if that child continues to get sick or is in a rebellious streak or is doing something that you just can't control because God is reminding you that child was never yours to begin with. But how are we doing with these tests when God allows them? The reality is we fail all the time. The very first of God's command was to love him above all things. And we see on a regular basis how hard it is to really love him above all things all the time. So today is an opportunity to repent. To say, God, I'm not there yet. God, my heart has a hard time with this. And today is also a time to remember 
that the only one worthy of our hearts is the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice in his name is Jesus. I couldn't be more excited to share the gospel with you. Do you know this story to me represents the most beautiful story in all of the Old Testament? I want you to consider some of the corollaries between this story and Jesus Christ himself. As I was reading this story, did you hear a couple times how God said, this is your one and only son. This is your one and only son. This is your one and only son. So that when we get to John 3.16, and we hear God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son, we know this is a foreshadow. The son had to go to a mountain called Moriah. Do you know on the same mount, Solomon would build a temple. And that temple would have sacrifice after sacrifice, foreshadowing the one true sacrifice. Not on Mount Moriah, but on Mount Golgotha. The son Isaac had to carry the wood to the place that he would be bound upon. And our Savior Jesus carried the cross. And there on the cross was bound through nails. And then the angel of the Lord, did you catch this? Who is the angel of the Lord that called through the clouds, Stop, Abraham. You don't have to do this, Abraham. The angel of the Lord is identified through this passage. I now know you fear God because you have not withheld from me. Which means this angel of the Lord is God himself. And commentators would say the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Which means it is Jesus calling through the clouds and telling Abraham, You don't have to do this. That's my role. I do that. And he reminds Abraham and he reminds us, see the tests I put you through, they're really not about you. They're about you knowing my love and the lengths of it and how far I would go. He is the only one worthy of our allegiance because he has redeemed us. Because with him and him alone is unfailing love. With him and him alone is redemption. With him and him alone is forgiveness and peace. And you might wonder, God, why do you want my heart so much? Why are you testing me? And the reason? Because he gave you his heart. And every Christian knows the only reason I love is because he loved me first. And I will never repay that debt. I am not saving myself by how I love the Lord. I am simply saying thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being the truest treasure. And nothing, nothing comes close. Every other good and perfect gift was just to remind me of your goodness. But friends, what if we learned from Abraham too? What if there was a way that we could start passing these tests instead of doing epic failures? I think there's a way, and I want to talk about learning a little bit from Abraham. As we do that, I don't know, have you ever used logic to lead your way out of just a clear command? So like we become adults and we have this argumentative nature. You don't have to poke the person next to you to tell them if they're argumentative or not. But, but you know, that's just human nature, okay? I remember this happened to me when I got my driver's license, and someone convinced me that when it comes to a 65, you can get away with 72. 
That, that's, that's what's being shared, um, that police will not pull you over if you're going 72. And for a guy who wanted to use that logic to go a little faster, that sounded good to me. The unfortunate thing, on the first day I had my driver's license and the police pulls me over, they did not get that memo. <laughs> no one told them about the logic that my friend had shared. You're not supposed to be here. I don't know if you heard, but you don't, you're not supposed to pull me over at 72. <laughs> Didn't work. What's so interesting about our account is that if anyone could have used logic to disobey, it is Abraham, and he has an ironclad case, okay? God tells Abraham, sacrifice your son, and Abraham could have responded, God, that cannot be. And let me tell you why. Because you have promised that through my son, you will bless all nations. That's, that's a pretty good case. In fact, it's worked before in the Bible. You hold God to your, his promise, that works, okay? If you're ever arguing with God. But that's not what Abraham does. I love the progression of verse 2 and verse 3. Look at this progression. Just take it in a little bit. God says, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering, I will show you. And, can you say that word? Early. There was no debate. There was no dialogue. There was no, oh, it's so early. No, he simply obeyed. And to me, that's incredible. That's incredible. Martin Luther commented and said, man, you know, to human reason, it must have seemed that either God's promise would fail or else his command was of the devil and not of God. But Abraham heard the command and he humbled himself and he had what we call a childlike faith and said, my father said it, I'm going to do it. And he teaches us what open hand living is all about. And open hand living, it's all about humble obedience. See, sometimes adulthood doesn't benefit us because we get so good at argumentative natures. Sometimes we just need to be a child and say, you know what, I don't even know. <laughs> I have no idea how we're going to both come back from worshiping God right now, but I'm going to obey. Friends, what if we started just humbly obeying? What if we stop the nonsense of all that we do to talk ourselves out of obedience? I think of a series we did. We did a really hard series called Generosity or Generous. Did you remember this series? Four weeks talking about money. Whoa! But let me ask you, how are you doing? Did you logic your way out of it? God, I would give, but inflation. God, I would give, but man, times are tight. God, I would give, but kids. How many times do we do this? God's commands are pretty simple. We have a good way of logicking out of it. God, I would worship you regularly, but God, I would read my Bible, but God, I would invite my friend to church. I would share my faith, but... I just want to remind you today's a new day. Do you know that if you're in Christ, you have the power of the risen God in you? Do you know that you have a new creation? You are a new man. And there's a part of me that just wonders, just wonders, just, just dreams a little bit. 
What if the new man would just say, hey, old man, stop the nonsense. <laughs> Knock it off. To whatever that thing was. What if we just decided today is the day I'm just going to commit to stop logicking my way out of simple obedience. It's not that tough to understand what I should do. So I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to argue. Think of how your world would change. More than that, think about how the lives of the people around you would change. You have the power of God. But there's more to this story. When it comes to living open-handed, you know, if we live with a closed hand, think of what a closed hand does. When my hand is closed like this, I have no room for anything else, right? If God would like to give me something else, like a Mariano's donut, a cup of coffee, I am telling God you can't because I only want this. If I open my hand, what can God do? I said, it's, it's all yours, God, whatever you want. God can empty my hand and he can put something new in it. He can empty my hand and put something new in it. And he can empty my hand and he can put something new in it. Can you imagine if your grade school self just held on to the one thing it wanted without ever letting go or making room for anything more? If all I had in my wardrobe was a bunch of Jerry Stackhouse jerseys, maybe it would have been good if I opened my hand and said, Lord, you can have that. I love this meme about this. Just trust me. I love this dog. I got something better. And that also is the blessing of living open-handed. See, see, when we do that, we have hands that are free for what is better without holding on recklessly for something that may not even be good for us. That job that you're in, that relationship that you're in, that thing that you love so much that is tearing you away from him. Hello. And we're back. Do you know what I learned from Pastor Jeff? I like doing this. I learned from Pastor Jeff that you can be nonchalant because if I'm not nonchalant, I take myself too seriously and God not enough. You know that? And God is who we want to see today. So thank you for showing me that. Anyway, okay, where were we? Phil, are you up to preach? Who wants a testimony? I'm just kidding. When Abraham gave up his son, what did God do in return? God not only provided a ram, but he confirmed his covenant. God once again said, no, you are the chosen man. You are the one through whom the Messiah will come. And all nations, all nations will be blessed through you because of this act of obedience. But the thing that I really thought about this week, and perhaps the key for all of it, for our understanding of God's activity, is this question, which is, who was the test for? Was the test for the almighty God who knows everything already? Or was the test 
for Abraham. The test was for Abraham. So that Abraham could know that through this test, he saw he was willing to give up everything as long as he had the Lord. And he again was confirmed in his faith. And that's God's goal in our life. That when we live open-handed, it's that these tests of faith, they come because God wants to strengthen us. Consider what James wrote. He said, you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, the thing about faith is that we don't just sprint the faith. It's a marathon. It's long. We want to hold on to Jesus, not just in this season, but in every season. And through this activity, Abraham could look back and remember all the times he's passed the test. Abraham was called to go to a new land, and in that land, God blessed him. Abraham took an untrained army to save his nephew Lot, and yet God got him through. Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac, and yet Isaac came. And now Abraham has an experience where he knows he would give up the world as long as he still has Jesus, as long as he still has his God. What have you been through? Some of you have been through tight financial times so that you could know the Lord will provide. Some of you went through a season of darkness so you could know that seasons change. And God still works all things for the good. Some of you have had to say goodbye to loved ones so that you could know those we lose in Christ are not lost at all. And that the unfailing love we need is the unfailing love of our God. God is going to continue to allow tests in our lives. And it's because he loves us and he wants to strengthen us. So that we can get to a point and say, Jesus, as long as I have you, I have what is needed. This reminds me of Corey Tenboom, who went through quite a bit. And she said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes I think the reason he wants us to have open hands is not actually to fill it with something else or someone else, but just simply so we can hold on to him. So we can say with Corey Ten Boom, as long as I have you, that's what I need. You know, there's a song that I love right now called Gyra. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's on Caleb. I recommend it. Look it up. Gyra was made by Elevation Worship in Maverick City, and the lyrics go like this. You are Gyra, you are enough. Gyra, you are enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You are Gyra, you are enough. Do you know where these remarkable and funny-sounding words came from? From the lesson we just considered. After the lesson, this was the confession of Abraham. Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and that was Jehovah Jireh. And my prayer for us is that whatever God tests you with, whatever you have to say goodbye to, that your faith would confess, and yet the Lord will provide. And my prayer for you is that even if you would lose that thing that was the answer to your question, and you still have Jesus, you would confess, but Jesus, you're enough. 
Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity just to encourage one another with a common faith. Uh, today, we use the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.